Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell, and today is Ash Wednesday 2023. And I'm talking years of life lost or years of potential life lost, and I'm talking about this mortality metric and why I don't like it. That said, I will be adding it to my arsenal of mortality metrics this year because somebody asked really nicely, and it does measure mortality from a different perspective. I will, as I said, explain why I don't like it as a met- metric, um, but you know what? It has been used. It gives a different perspective. Um, as I said, the person asked really nicely, and maybe I'll find something interesting uh, doing it from this angle, and I'm going to use it on causes of death as I'm going to start dissecting that soon. I'm going to start with some of the natural causes of death, uh, heart disease and cancer soon, um, and maybe I'll do cancer first. Uh, because that one will be a little more clean cut and perhaps we'll find something interesting with years of life lost. So if you didn't see my recent post and I will again in the show notes on the Substack post. And you know, if you have this via Apple podcast or however you're getting this podcast, I will put it as the first link in the show notes, um, that I did a recent pull of data from the CDC Wonder. And in passing, I want to note, and I didn't need to do this to do the calculation I wanted to do, uh, because I also pulled from the finalized statistics from CDC Wonder, which goes up to 2021, so that's good. But I also pulled from 2022. And when I pulled from the provisional database, I also pulled from prior years just to do some data checks and stuff. I noticed there were some data missing from 2021. I sent an email to the uh, CDC Wonder folks. I've done this before uh, when there were problems Um Something must have happened in the latest data update. There was um, a uh, delay in getting the February update done, and it looks like something happened between the January and February update. All the population data for the single year ages disappeared. Um, That said, I was doing my own population estimates because... uh, I needed to do an estimate for 2022 to do some of the calculations I want to do in the future. I was doing some tests in my spreadsheet. So if you download my spreadsheet on my prior post, you will see some of these uh, data oddities. So now you can see why I do my data checks. In any case, the concept between um, from years of potential life lost is that for each, and we'll just do it by single year ages, at each age, we're going to have... Uh, you know, a years of life left or years of life lost if you died at that age from whatever. Okay. And I will count the number of deaths in a year at that age. And then I'll multiply it by that years of life lost that I have some kind of measure. 
Now, uh, this measure actually behaves quite well. You can do it as a rate. Uh, when you do things as rates, rates don't combine nicely. But if I just do years of life left and I do it for each death, it is a linear measure because I'm just kind of combining them linearly. I have a weight for each single year age. And you can also do it for kind of subsets. You could do it by uh, sex, and they've done that before. But I'll get back to some of my objections to this metric uh, when we have different weights by sex in a moment. Okay, um, so it can behave very nicely, uh, just like a lot of other things behave nicely, just as you can do subsets of counting up deaths. As long as you have unique categorizations, the deaths will just add up. If I do uh, it by ultimate cause of death or underlying cause of death, that's also will add up. It will split out into unique subsets, and I can just add those up. So I can do my analysis for cause of death because I do underlying cause of death. I can split it out. I can split it out for this years of life lost and do this and things will add up nicely, just like I do with counting deaths, just like I do with age adjusted death rates. And I can even do crude rates. All of these will actually work out just fine. And I can do it for age groups and other things, and I can do a variety of comparisons. So it's a relatively easy, um, it's a relatively easy measure to calculate as long as, so where do I get this years of life left? So now we're running into the first problem, and I'm going to jump to a literary reference, because you know I'm the Charles Dickens fan, and this is from my second favorite Charles Dickens book, which is Martin Chuzzlewit. And yes, you're uh, again, a lot of people are like, which, what? Um, this is one I like to talk about a lot because it has a fraudulent life insurance company in it. It's got a lot of aspects in it that I love, and this is why it's my second favorite. I mean, Our Mutual Friend is my favorite. Um, it's got some, that one has great characters and a nice rambling plot and all sorts of great stuff in it. Uh, Martin Chuzzlewit is a great comic uh, book, but it's also got a murder, actually multiple murders in it. Uh, but let's get to this quote by Jonas Chuzzlewit, who is talking about his father. Okay, so he's talking to Miss Charity Pecksniff and is saying, you can say what you like of my father then, and I give you leave, said Jonas. I think it's liquid aggravation that circulates through his veins, not regular blood. How old should you think my father was, cousin? Old, no doubt, replied Miss Charity, but a fine old gentleman. A fine old gentleman, repeated Jonas, giving the crown of his hat an angry knock. Ah, it's time he was thinking of being drawn out a little finer, too. Why, he's eighty. Is he indeed, said the young lady. And he cod, cried Jonas. Now he's gone so far without giving in. I don't see much to prevent his being ninety. No, nor even a hundred. Why, a man with any feeling ought to be ashamed of being eighty, let alone more. Where's his religion, I should like to know, when he goes flying in the face of the Bible like that? Three score and ten's the mark. And no man with a conscience and a proper sense of what's expected of him has any business to live longer. 
Okay. Um, and it goes on in that vein. So three score, that's 60 and 10. So that's 70 years old. And that is in the Bible that that's the, you know, number of days of man. So you're supposed to live to be 70 years old. And, uh, Jonas's father is 80 years old at the beginning of this book. And so that's one of the issues with years of life lost. And historically, uh, this is one of the stupid ways of doing years of life lost. And this is how they used to do it because it was really easy to do it this way was that they would have a reference age of, well, we think people should live to be 75 years old, say, and that any death where you died before that age was an early death and you died too young. So then the potential years of life lost or years of life lost would be the reference age minus your age at death. And if you died over that age, then the years of life lost was zero. You just had extra life. I have extra life in me, daddy. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that is not exactly what we want to think about. That's not a great way to calculate this. And that's definitely biased towards ages below that reference age. That is not how, um, for anyone who uses years of life loss, that's not how they use it. Uh, so that's, that's not the approach taken now. The approach taken now is they will have a reference mortality table from which a life expectancy from that age is derived. Now, how we pick that life table, I'll get to in a moment, uh, from any age below omega. And so omega, which is, of course, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, is the maximum age of that life table. Uh, you will have a non-zero life expectancy. It might be small. And the table I was using goes up to, it's truncated at 100. Uh, but that's good enough. And the life expectancy at 100 is about one year on this, on these tables. It's two tables I'm looking at. It's, it's about one year or so. Uh, and that's good enough for the calculations I'm doing. I, I, I have such a small population at age 100. I don't care at that point. Um, it's, it's just estimates anyway. And from, a percentages standpoint. And if you look at the post I did, I'm not doing any extra decimals past, you know, 1% is as close as I'm going to get. And if it's under 0.5%, I'm just, that's 0% for the analysis I'm doing. Okay. Anything below 0.5% difference is as close to zero as makes no difference in practical terms um, for difference year to year. Okay. Um, so when I'm doing this, it's, I'm trying to look at changes between years. And when this measure is being used, it's usually being used for public health purposes. Um, this is used as part of the global burden of disease program, though. Mm, okay. I'm not talk, I'm not going to talk about that one right now, but the concept is they usually focus on either a single cause of death 
or a single cause of disease and disability because this is often wrapped into other studies where it doesn't need to be mortality, it can be morbidity, and they're looking at years of life lived with a disability that might be able to be treated or prevented in some way. And this is a metric used to measure the success of a public health program. Um, and, you know, trying to look at the impact, you can look at the number of lives because like some of it can be, maybe we, we can't count like number of lives saved, but like how many people have we improved their lives for how long? Um, and this is not a bad measure for that purpose. That said, <laughs> there are issues because there's, I have philosophical issues more than I have mathematical issues. The mathematical issues are minor. Um, every single one of these measures, um, you know, and I've complained about it multiple times. I hate period life expectancy as a mortality measure because nobody, it's used for making comparisons between populations, but you look at it and what do you do with it? The one I love telling, and especially since it's period life expectancy from birth, that's the one It's just like, okay, so then where, where was the change? Was it at birth? Was it infant mortality? Was it middle-aged people? Was it old people? You can't tell looking at that. Now for years of life lost, it, um, so for period life expectancy, yeah, it kind of waits mortality at younger ages more than at older ages, but you really can't tell for life expectancy. For years of life loss, it does wait younger ages a lot more than older ages, um, the way it works. Um, that said, <laughs> you can still have issues. Um, and when you're looking at it for, by cause of death, you're, you're really going to get weighted for accidental causes of death and ones that affect children and young adults a lot more. So, uh, when I do my analyses, you're going to see some patterns that come out of the uh, years of life lost in a different way from the other ones. So talking about how I did the calculation of years of life lost, I used two different life tables. One of them is actually kind of problematic. I used the Social Security 2019 uh, population table, but I used the female life expectancy. What's problematic about this, and it's not the female part, which I still will address in a moment, but it's that I'm using an actual period year calculation on period deaths. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Where do you think that mortality table came from? And how does the logic of that work out? It's a Robros eating its own tail. That doesn't really quite work from a logical standpoint when I'm doing all the deaths. Now, when I'm doing a subset of the deaths, it kind of works in terms of thinking, okay, these subsets are kind of premature deaths, but even so, I'd want to back out those deaths and say, well, this is what 
the life expectancy should have been. And I can do that. I can alter the mortality rates in the table and recalculate life expectancies, removing those Q sub Xs, removing those mortality rates. Again, that's not why I, I have a problem with years of life lost, by the way, because I used a second mortality table, which was a projection from the World Health Organization to a theoretical year 2050. It was a gender neutral table and, you know, a life expectancy at birth of about 91 years. It looked fine. It had a similar uh, trajectory. You know, it had a similar shape as the 2019 table. So it was similar to a developed country in terms of what these years of life lost would look like at each age. So that's not too bad. And when I graphed both of these, there's about a 10 year difference at birth. And then they end up about the same place at year one at age 100. So that's not too bad. But so now we're going to get into some of the nitpickery and I've got some philosophical issues. And then um, I'm going to start with the positive ones. And then because it's Ash Wednesday, I'm going to start and then I'm going to end with the depressing ones. So the positive ones. And first, why am I not using sex distinct years of life lost when I'm doing my calculation? Well, one is because I'm lazy. <laughs> Simplicity. I mean, come on, guys. I want to calculate this as quickly as possible. And generally, I'm not pulling these stats in a sex distinct way, though there are some very sex distinct patterns. And I do this in the month of November when I'm doing my Movember fundraising because certain causes of death and yeah, certain causes of death are have huge sex gaps like suicide, like homicide, um, but pretty much all causes of death at younger ages have very large sex gaps. And when I look at my Q sub X's, so those are the mortality rates at each single age X have huge sex ratios. Um, you have to go to fairly large ages before you start seeing them commensurate. And it's only a few causes of death where females have higher death rates than males. I mean, there's obviously sex distinct causes of death, such as uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, um, breast cancer. I mean, yes, males can uh, die of breast cancer, but they have a much lower rate. Um, uh, birth related, you know, maternal mortality. But there's some ones that you may not expect, which are certain causes of dementia. And no, it's not just because women live longer. It's when you even normalize for age, uh, women have a higher incidence of certain kinds of dementia and males have a certain higher incidence of other kinds of dementia. So it's kind of interesting. Some of these sex differences, we have no idea where they come from. Uh, some of them, you know, like homicide and suicide, we have a pretty good idea of some behavioral uh, differences where they come from. Okay. But some of this, the reason I'm using a sex neutral, gender neutral approach in doing this years of life lost philosophically, what does years of life lost have to do with? It has to do with 
premature death, preventative death. Well, it's not that I'm thinking, oh, in the utopian world, there's no sex distinctions. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. Um, in some of the cases, it's, you know, can the interventions be such or can changes be made that there is a reduction in these trends? And there has been for certain causes of death. So this is where the happy stuff is. Um, I haven't been able to tell you a lot of happy mortality stuff uh, in a while since I moved Stump to Substack and definitely for the podcast. I'm sorry to say there's been a lot of bad mortality trends, not just COVID, but, you know, a lot of nasties such as homicide and motor vehicle accidents and alcohol related deaths and all sorts of nasty things. Um, that said, if we look on a longer scale, there has been a lot of great stuff going on in mortality trends. And some of the drivers of these reduction in causes of mortality, let me just go to motor vehicle accidents. Let me go to some stuff that's not necessarily so controversial. Um, some of the reasons for the reduction in motor vehicle accident deaths have been improvement in safety features in vehicles. So airbags is, is part of them. Some of it has been a change in what kind of vehicles people drive. So sorry, guys, but the shift to SUVs actually made motor vehicle deaths go down versus, you know, the little crappy K cars and whatnot that people drive. You you have your little crumple <laughs> the vehicles that are all crumple zone and you get crumpled into your, your little compact and get compacted yourself. Yeah, you're not surviving that crash. Um, but that was those little bitty cars that were very fuel efficient were replacing the land whales that, of course, was a trade-off between you didn't go very fast in them they had awful gas mileage, but, you know, they were steel and they were semi-safe in terms of, uh, you know, certain kinds of crashes, certain kinds of crashes. And I need to be very specific, like front on collisions. Sure, you would survive, but side collisions, maybe not so much. OK, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now, um, but that's like at point of contact motor vehicle accident deaths. But then you have other aspects such as improvement in uh, trauma care. And with improvement in trauma care, you had people surviving accidents that they used to not be able to survive. But then you also have aspects of older and older people being in vehicles. They're frailer they're more likely to die in accidents at lower speeds. So, you know, there's all these trade-offs. Okay, so I did say this was going to be happy, and it is happy. Um, so you did have, it goes up and down. Uh, motor vehicle accident deaths are one of those that fluctuate. And when we measure this, so this is not traditional for life actuaries. It's more property and casualty actuaries and relates to auto insurance, of course. Um that it's usually measured not per year, but per uh, millions of miles driven per year per person. Um, 
And a lot of motor vehicle accident deaths, of course, are in single vehicle accidents, but you know, you have a lot of different things going on as well. So that's motor vehicle accident deaths. Let me do a, a different one that's less mixed, and that's childhood cancer. Um, that has been amazing in its trend in that something, you know, it wasn't terribly frequent, but you know, you don't have a lot of childhood deaths to begin with. From age five to 12 is like the lowest death rate in the, you know, your entire age. This has been since the advent of childhood vaccines and antibiotics. So they've not been, little kids have not been dying of infectious disease for quite some time. So the last big hit was the mid 20th century uh, pandemics, flu pandemics, the uh, Chinese flu, what was it? The Asian flu and the Chinese flu, I think they were called at the time, 1950s and 1960s. Um, but even that was just a kind of a small uptick. So in childhood, the main causes of death, and so this is grade school, five to 12, have been just stuff like um, congenital issues, childhood cancer, and then accidental causes of death have been some of the major causes of death. Uh, but childhood cancer has, you know, for um, researchers such as St. Jude's Hospital and uh, people like that have really developed the research and the childhood cancer has been more and more survivable, even though, of course, a lot of these cancers had been very aggressive um, before, and a lot of these are being cured even. And it's amazing. Um, so these are just very, very happy, happy uh, stories under the years of life loss metric. If a child had died of these cancers, of course, this would be a huge hit because this is at a young age. Uh, the years of life loss would be a heavy weight under this metric. So reducing the number of childhood cancer deaths um, is a big, big win. Um, so this is great. And, you know, I don't have a lot to uh, criticize on that point, there has been a lot of improvement here for a lot of these years of life lost metrics, by the way, it's not necessarily being used in the United States. It's been more used in global health initiatives, such as with the Gates Foundation and the Carter Center. And I want to mention this because this, I wanted to mention uh, ex-president Jimmy Carter, who has transitioned to hospice I believe he's 99 years old as I speak. Um, the Carter Center had been involved with the eradication, and I want to say this correctly. The Carter Center has been involved in the eradication of guinea worm disease. Now, this is not something that we hear about in the United States because this is not something we've had to deal with. Uh, the Carter Center put, put out a press release January 24th, 2023, Guinea worm disease reaches all-time low. Only 13 human cases reported in 2022. Uh, only 13 human cases of guinea worm disease were reported worldwide in 2022, pushing the disease closer to eradication, the Carter Center announced on January 24th, 2023. We are heartened that eradication can be achieved soon, former President Carter said. So these are a lot of these tropical diseases. This is what, and it's not necessarily 
equally years of life lost, but there's like years of life lived uh, with a disability or diseased, um, that these are the kinds of metrics that are used when they are trying to talk about these kinds of worldwide diseases to measure improvements. A lot of these diseases can be a big drag on development in some of these areas. So to go back to this press release, um, it says guinea worm disease is usually contracted when people consume water contaminated with tiny crustaceans called copepods that eat guinea worm larvae. The larvae develop into adults within the human host, so it's parasitic disease. After about a year, a meter-long pregnant female worm emerges slowly through a painful blister in the skin. Oh, yeah, I've seen videos of this. Often of the legs or feet of the human. A sufferer may seek relief by dipping the affected limb in water and therefore the cycle continues. However, contact with water stimulates the emerging worm to release its larvae and start the cycle anew. Guinea worm disease incapacitates people for weeks or months, reducing individuals' ability to care for themselves, work, grow food for their families, or attend school. So in a lot of these reports, and I've seen a few of these coming out uh, from the World Health Organization, that, um, you know, what kind of economic impact they have. So in any case, these measures can be useful for very focused uh, uses and looking at prog progress for these kinds of projects. Uh, so there's, you know, a lot of upside, but it's not necessarily helpful. And I don't philosophically, I have an issue with regards to years of life lost because it posits that you know, or that you deserve a certain number of years. So going back to Jonas Chuzzlewit, and the 70 years that is supposed to be the span of man. So that Jonas sees it as a limit that his father has exceeded that limit. Um, and so from the positive side, I'm going like, well, why 70? I used to scare the crap out of, you know, fellow annuity actuaries like, well, why can't people live to be 150 and with healthy life even? Um, but on the other side, I have a lot of experience with people not even reaching old age for a variety of reasons. And um, throughout the pandemic and also well before the pandemic, uh, when Stuart was diagnosed with cancer, it's there is what I call the illusion or maybe I should say the delusion of control. There are certain things we can control. We can control certain behavior we have. But just like in the book of Job, and so here comes the Ash Wednesday content, um, a lot of people think that we have control of everything that happens in our lives. And that is not true. Um, that there must have been something. I'll just use Stuart, but I could just say Job. Um, and no, it's not that Stuart is Job. Okay, come on. Um, but that you must have done something. You must have deserved it in some way. Or, you know, you must have been able to prevent it some way. And usually what they're thinking about is not Job or Stuart or whoever it was that some bad thing happened to or, you know, COVID or something. But if only they're usually thinking about themselves. If only I do this thing, if only I do this thing or these other things or this portfolio of things, I will be able to prevent this bad thing from happening. 
and I am sorry, I am here to tell you as an actuary, there's only so much that you will be able to do, and bad things happen whether you will them or not. You can tell I generally don't worry about a lot of these. I do take, you know, I do consider risks and trade-offs. I have talked about some of the things like pools, backyard pools, and some other water hazards. I know they're risky for little children, and they did freak me out. And my kids climbing trees also freaked me out. Actually, I just had Stuart watch them climb the trees, and I didn't look because I knew that the amount of risk wasn't really actually that high. Um, but in general, at a certain point, you've got to realize there's only so much you can do. I don't like the concept of years of life lost because it's like, these are things that you lose because you did something wrong. And that I don't think is a helpful, uh, way of framing it. <laughs> it I think a lot of us have gotten too used to the concept that life is supposed to be easy, or if you do this checklist, you get what you deserve. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of people don't get what they deserve. They get, they get what they get. Um, life is difficult. You know, the, the line from the princess bride, life is pain. Uh, <laughs> you get a lot of this. If, if you're, I'm Catholic and I bring this up quite a bit, you read the lives of the saints and you're like, especially the saints that re are related to miracles of healing, you find out most of these saints suffered physically a lot and didn't get healing themselves in many of the cases. I'm thinking of St. Bernadette, who was related to Lourdes. You know, you think of all of the disabled and sick people who go to Lourdes and most of them don't get healed. And then you learn about St. Bernadette. She died, if I remember correctly, of tuberculosis in her bones, which was not unusual for people in the 19th century in France um, or in Europe in general. It, a lot of people died of tuberculosis in the 19th century. I'm reading Dostoevsky right now um, and in Crime and Punishment. And you, I just had one character die of pretty bloody tuberculosis and a lot of his characters are dying of tuberculosis and I believe Dostoevsky himself had tuberculosis. It was really common. Um, <laughs> it would have been nice, you know, if they had the treatments back then to not die of tuberculosis and we still have people dying of tuberculosis today. So the way I like to try to think of it now and how would we how would we measure this years of life gained? You live another year. So it's true. I count dead people. I'm focusing on the deaths because that is an end. That's, I can count that. If someone lives another year of life, well, they're still around. I don't know when they're going to die. Every day is a gift. That was a prayer book my grandma had. Um, you don't know. <laughs> Uh, memento mori remember that you are mortal remember that you will die one day we don't know when that day will be um so life is a struggle and every day is a win people often ask me you know it's it's i know it's a small talk oh how are you doing and i say i'm alive and that's actually a happy saying uh it's 
It's because every day, every day is a gift. Look at it as a positive statement. Um, you never know. <laughs> that's often seen. That's the motto of the New York State Lottery. Well, you never know. <laughs> that can be a threat, too. <laughs> so that's been Stump, Death and Taxes. Happy Lent, Ash Wednesday. Bye.